0: So I'm going to jump into the message today because I'm really excited about it. Um, this is kind of a funny thing. I feel like everyone who teaches, uh, uh, usually teaches best when they're teaching out of something they're very familiar with, something they know, something they're passionate about. Uh, so this is going to be a weird one. I, people, a lot of people don't know this about me, but, or maybe they do. But before I was in... Um, Before I was leading a church and before I was a videographer and before I was an actor and a musician, I actually majored in biomedical science in college because I was fascinated by it. It's so cool, like science is cool. Like if you ever watch Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, like I am Flint Lockwood uh, or Bill Nye the Science Guy, if you know him, like that used to be like, he was my, I want to be Bill Nye the Science Guy someday. Uh, So I love science. It's cool and it's fun and and it's interesting. So this might feel a bit like a science lesson, but I promise Jesus is in there too. And it's fun, and it's weird, and it's gross, so it's gonna be a good time. Hang with me, that is what I asked you today. There is a powerful, wonderful thing here, but it's gonna be weird and gross at times, but don't worry, it's gonna be a fun ride. So here we go, first thing I wanna talk about again, learning about science stuff, all the different things you study. I mean, there's chemistry and anatomy and physiology and ecology and game theory and organic chemistry and all the way all these things interact and invasive species and all these different things. And uh, one thing that was really interesting to learn about throughout biology 102, I think, uh, was the parasite, right? The idea of a parasite, which defined is a parasite is something that lives on or in another organism and it gets food from or at the expense of the host. So it's like, gross, like something could live inside of something else and like live off of that thing. That's wild. So here's a couple examples of parasites that I I thought were particularly fascinating. The first one is called Ophiocordyceps. This this fungus, this parasitic fungus, uh, preys upon carpenter ants. So we have a picture of this guy right here. So this is Ophiocordyceps, not the ant, the thing growing out of the top of the ant, that is Ophiocordyceps. So what this does is the ant eats it, it gets into the ant's brain, it rattles it up a bunch, and then the ant grows crazy and basically like becomes like a zombie of itself. And it is compelled without any option of resistance to find a soft, dark little place with a, a leaf or a bit of grass in this case that it can latch onto. The cordyceps, it, it, puts so much pressure inside the ant's brain that its mandibles lock around this leaf, around a branch or something. And whether the ant wants to or not, it cannot release. So even after the ant is dead, it is going to hang on there forever. It never comes open again. And the ant actually wants to eat the leaf. That's the tragic part. You have a mouthful of food and you can't swallow it. It's just stuck there like, ah, I just want it. But you can't. It's just holding on to that. So then as as the ant dies, the ant does not want to be in this place. Ophiocordyceps wants the ant to be in this place so then the ant dies ophiocordyceps it's perfect conditions for this fungus to grow it grows a nice big stalk out of the back of the neck of this ant and then it spits out more ophiocordyceps which in fact more ants which lead more ants back to this warm soft little place to make more ophiocordyceps and on and on it goes gross like what that's a real thing makes zombies out of ants so that it can control its brain to make it do something that's wild so there's more of these ready Another really fun one, this one's gross. I think maybe the most gross uh, is a crustacean called uh, uh, Simithoa, I believe is how it's pronounced, but uh, Simithoa exigua. So it looks like there's this cute little crustacean here hanging out inside the fish's mouth. Here's what it does. It's a parasitic crustacean and it hangs out and this uh, spotted snapper says, oh, that looks like a yummy little bite, goes to eat it. The parasite latches onto the tongue of the fish and the fish cannot swallow it. So this thing lives on the snapper's tongue right there in its mouth. And here's the gross part. If that wasn't gross enough, it starts drinking blood from the fish through its tongue until the tongue completely dies and dissolves. And then the the crustacean becomes the tongue for the snapper. It becomes a functioning tongue living inside of the mouth of this fish that did not invite it to the party. That's gross. Like, that's unbelievable. Like, what the heck? Like, how does that even happen? And now my last one is my personal favorite. This is the first one I ever heard of that like blew my mind. It's called the jewel wasp. So look at this beautiful thing. You go, oh my goodness, it's gorgeous. That emerald color, a little bit of blue, a little bit of orange in there. It's a work of art. Now, this thing preys upon cockroaches. That is its victim. And you go, yes, cockroaches. Finally, there's something out there that's giving them what they deserve. Well, hang on a second. This jewel wasp is significantly smaller than a cockroach, maybe like six times smaller. And it'll spar off with a cockroach, grab it, and then sting it in the neck and then its, its stinger will fish around inside of its skull until it finds the brain and then spit some venom in there. Gross, that's enough to be like, I don't want that. So after that happens, the cockroach goes into a panicked cleaning frenzy. It gets wildly obsessive about self-grooming and cleaning. And some of you ladies know exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like, I need to clean compulsively like my life depends on it. That, be careful you don't have jewel wasps in the house. There actually might be something or reason for that. Uh, So anyways, this thing starts cleaning like crazy. And then after 30 minutes, it just sits perfectly still. It goes into like idle animation. It just like does not move and it just hangs out and it's alive and it's breathing and it's thinking and and scientists actually figured out it can still feel things because what happens after the jewel wasp goes away, it says, all right, you clean up. I'm going to go for about 30 minutes and I'm going to dig a hole and then I'll come back. When it comes back, the cockroach is just sitting there like paralyzed, but completely aware. The jewel off says, well, you know what? That was a lot of work. I'm a little hungry. It rips one of its antenna off its head and eats it. And it's like, wow. And the cockroach says it could feel that, a limb getting ripped off of its body and consumed. And it watched, it sees the whole thing happen. And it just goes, this is fine. And it just hangs out there. It does not react. It's like, what? It's like, you just, you're stuck there, frozen, watching yourself being eaten alive. Gross. But it gets better. So then the, the jewel wasp says, okay, cockroach, come with me. And he goes, oh, okay. And just kind of shuffles off to this hole that the wasp has dug. It shoves the cockroach in there and buries it alive. So now the cockroach is there in the dark, un- incapable of moving. It could easily dig its way out, but it doesn't because of the venom. So now the parasitic wasp, lays an egg on the side of the cockroach and the and the cockroach is just chilling in there, totally fine. And then the egg hatches and then it starts to dig into the cockroach and eat its internal organs in order from least vital to most vital to keep the cockroach alive as long as possible. And this cockroach is sitting there, knowing this is happening, feeling everything as this thing just goes on a wild buffet eating frenzy until it eventually dies and then outsprouts a brand new beautiful jewel wasp to go find a new cockroach. That's disgusting. That is something out of a horror movie. That is the movie Alien is like based on this wasp. Not even joking about that. So this is gross. And you might think, well, cockroach, finally getting what they deserve. I do not wish that on my worst enemy. Cockroaches deserve better than that. I mean, they're not our friends, but come on, that's brutal. So this is a parasite. The parasite, gross, is something that lives on or in another organism at the expense of the organism. It's saying rather than have to do all this work of having to like make my own home and find all this food and do all this stuff, I could just make you do it. And then, you know, your body can become my food. And then instead of you being in charge of yourself, You can, I can make your behavior do what I want you to do. Like the ant up there on the leaf with Ophiocordyceps does not want to be up on the leaf, latching onto it in a dank place, not being able to swallow anything. But it's up there being like, I don't even want to be here. What am I doing? But Ophiocordyceps is just like, this is perfect for us. Like we didn't have to do any of the work. We just had to make the ant do it. That's a parasite. Ridiculous. And I learned this while studying this. Apparently it's the truth that over half of all life on earth is parasitic in nature. So more than half of all living things live by manipulating another living thing for its own good, which is ridiculous. Some people say it's over 60%. Some say it's actually probably much higher than 60%. It's like, wow, that's gross too. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Danny, that's disgusting. This is church. I think you're speaking to the wrong audience. And you might say, this is gross. And I'm really glad that I don't have any parasites because this sounds absolutely terrible. I don't want to do anything with that. Thank God I don't have any parasites. I have bad news for you. You have parasites. (laughs) You've got a lot, in fact. It turns out, maybe you've heard about this microflora, right? the gut bacteria, there are hundreds of thousands of millions of bacteria that live in our body rent-free. They just get to be there um, and they live off of what we do. So we have our gut bacteria that when I eat something, I am feeding myself, but I'm also feeding the freeloaders in my intestines that are just picking and choosing what they want. You think, okay, well, that's fine. They can live there and that's fine, but like they don't really bother me or do anything. Not necessarily true. I learned this recently, and this is fascinating as well, that our gut bacteria there's all different kinds. And they all want different things. Some of the gut bacteria wants sugar. Some of it wants fat. Some of it want vegetables. So if I've gut bacteria that loves sugar, then when I feed my body sugar, that gut bacteria says, this is great. Good job. It eats it and multiplies and it gets stronger. And then that gut bacteria sends biochemical signals back up to our brain that makes us think I want more sugar. So our gut bacteria parasites actually control what we crave. So the things that we want to eat, it's not actually what I want to eat. It's what my gut bacteria wants to eat. But they control my cravings so that they get what they want, regardless of whether or not it's good for me. That's ridiculous. And it's so interesting too, because if I, if I feed the ones, if I'm just eating straight veggies and veggies and veggies, then my sugar bacteria gets smaller and my veggie bacteria gets bigger. And then all of a sudden I start craving veggies. And I think, am I craving veggies or is my gut bacteria just bigger and better at making me crave more veggies? Ridiculous, right? Does that not just completely blow your mind? It's like the most wild concept to me. Like again, science is fascinating. I love this stuff. I am Bill and I. Uh, I am Flint Lockwood. So, uh, anyways, this is ridiculous and gross and disgusting, but there is a reason I am painting such a disgusting picture for you all. There's a reason for this because I want to talk about a different kind of parasite today. Because that concept, this parasite, gets into a person, gets into an animal or a cockroach, and it manipulates the host, being you in this case, let's say, manipulates you and your behavior and your thoughts and your decisions for what's best for the parasite, not for what's best for you. This is a parasite. So I wanna talk about a different kind of parasite. So every man in the room here today, every young boy, every boy pre, during, sorry, every boy either in puberty or past it knows what I'm talking about here. So as a young teenage boy, we always joke about, you know, the 10 year olds, like girls are girls, girls have cooties. And all the adults go, huh, you won't always think that. Uh, Sooner or later, you're gonna look at them a little differently. Uh, And I remember the day I did being like, oh, woman looks different. And I actually am not repulsed by this. There's actually something drawing me towards you. That's new. New feelings, right, are happening. New hormones are kicking in, new thoughts, new cravings, we'll call them. Uh, So this new craving appeared and suddenly I finally realized I was hungry for something. And that's interesting too. For the first time, I was hungry for something new. So I thought, okay, well, that's hungry. So let me feed it. You know, at first it was like, oh, look at that. And that feeds the craving and thought, okay, well, once the craving is satisfied, I felt okay, right? When we're craving something and we get it, we feel good for a little bit, regardless of what happens to us 30 minutes later or after 20 years of that thing. But you know, when you feed that craving, at first it feels pretty good. So then you go, okay, that's pretty good. So then I fed the craving, but then that voice, that thing said more. And I thought, okay, well, how about I give you the same thing? And it said, no, 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 I didn't say the same. I said more. So it's like, okay, well, at first I gave you a glance, you know, that maybe I shouldn't have taken, but you were satisfied, but now you're saying that's not enough. That's more. Okay, well, that glance now becomes maybe a stare. You know, we're looking a little bit long this time. Are you happy now? Yeah, I'm happy now. Okay, cool. But now I'm hungry again. It's been 30 minutes. It's like, okay, well, I'll stare again. No, 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 no. Staring is not enough. More. Okay, so now this craving continues. And all of a sudden, a glance becomes a stare and a a fleeting thought becomes a fantasy. And eventually that fantasy might become an obsession or something like that. The craving continues over and over. And every time it's fed, it comes back a little bit louder saying more. It always says the same thing over and over again, more, more. And every time I fed it, it got stronger and I got weaker. I realized my ability to resist this craving was diminishing. I got worse and worse at fighting this thing. And as I was getting smaller and smaller, it was getting bigger and bigger. Not only was I getting less capable of fighting it, it was getting better at fighting me. So this is now we're working two opposite directions here and this is growing out of control. Suddenly the craving is so strong, I wonder if I'm in control at all. Whatever this thing is inside of me, it has hijacked my system to do what it wants, even though I know I shouldn't be doing this. I don't feel good about this at all. I don't want to do this. In fact, I want to do the opposite, but here I am again. Like the ant on the leaf. Oh, why am I hanging on this leaf? I don't even want to be here. Like, I want to be down there with my home and my family and my anthole. What am I doing up here? The ant knows this. It knows it doesn't want to be there, but here I am. What's happening here? And I want to suggest to you all that this, in this case, we're talking about lust, right? This idea of, I need to satisfy this lust desire, this sin within me. And as this is happening, it's becoming stronger and stronger. I'm becoming weaker and weaker. And what I want to suggest is that this is a spiritual parasite because every time I fed this parasite, it grew at the expense of my righteousness. This parasite was so happy to be fed, but it was eating my dignity alive. It was consuming my morality It was feeding upon my righteousness and it got bigger every time. And my righteousness got less and less and my dignity got less and less as it became stronger. A spiritual parasite somehow managed to embed itself in my heart, in my soul. And it took over the wheel. It started to modify my behavior to do what it wanted, regardless of whether or not it was good for me. So, Sin is an interesting thing too, because once it's in there, it grows, it sticks, it wants to be there. And here's a fun question too. You'd say, okay, well, there's a parasite in there. Here's a question. Parasites don't make it easy for you to remove them. Like, how do you remove a parasite? You gotta think of that fish. If you wanna remove that parasite, you gotta rip my tongue out of my mouth. Like that does not feel very good. Maybe a better example that maybe more of you are familiar with, you ever have a canker sore? It's like those little white sores just somehow find their way into, your, into your, the sides of your gums or something like that. Sometimes I get them on my tongue and they create little craters and they're awful and painful. Every time you swallow or try to eat anything, it hurts. And you look up online about like, okay, how to get rid of canker sores. And what you always find is a saltwater rinse. And you go, oh, okay, that sounds easy and harmful, salt water like the ocean, that's fine. I've done this a thousand times. You take a little sip of salt water and immediate overwhelming full body pain happens. Like how is this little spot like, Ugh! like I'm on the ground. It's like stepping on Lego level of pain. Like it's, it's, it's unbearable. So it's like, it's, how does my whole body hurt? because I'm trying to drink salt water, which none of my body cares at all about this, except for this one little parasite. But this one little parasite somehow is able to cause so much pain when I try to do what's good for me and bad for it. Interesting. It doesn't want to go. And it says, hey, I call the shots around here. If you're trying to get rid of me, I'm going to make you pay for that. Like you are not allowed to remove me. And if you try, you are going to suffer for trying to do it. And the, the parasite says, I'm digging in. I got my claws and my hooks and everything that I got. If you want to get me out of here, I'm going to be kicking and screaming and biting and spitting and bleeding the whole way out of here. Like I am not going. Parasites have a really interesting way of digging in deep and hanging on tight. So sometimes to remove a parasite, that can be a painful process too. And it's interesting because the Bible doesn't talk much about parasites, but the Bible does talk a lot about sin. So if sin is a spiritual parasite, maybe there's a parallel here. Maybe they're connected somehow. So I want to jump to Romans uh, 7. We're going to start in verse 15. And the NIV and the Passion both say it beautifully, but the Passion kind of just captures it a little bit better. So will read it out of there. So Romans 7, verse 15, it begins with, I am a mystery to myself. Basically, I don't understand what's going on here. For what I want to do is right. So that's the idea of the ant. I know what I want to do. It's a good thing. And here Paul's talking about the law, right? The law, the Torah, commandments from God that are good. He said, you you know, honor your mother and father. Don't sin, don't steal. Do all these things. Like, yeah, those are good things. I actually want to do them. But I end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. Basically, I'm doing what I know I shouldn't do. I don't want to do it, but here I am. Like, what's going on with this? Next verse in 16. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. Again, my behavior is not lining up what I know is right. I know this is right. I want to go this way, but I keep going this way. How does that happen? Verse 17. And now I realize, and this is where it gets interesting, that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity an unwelcome intruder inside of my humanity, an invasive species, sounds kind of like a parasite. Something got in there that is not me, but it's in there. And the longings to do, uh, sorry, so verse 18, uh, for I know that nothing good lives within me. It's not a happy, friendly parasite, but nothing happy, li- good with lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what are right within me, but my willpower is not enough to accomplish it. Again, somehow it is stronger than my own willpower. It has hijacked my system. Verse 19, my lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to evolve. Why can't I just do what I know I should do? And verse 20, so if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. That sounds a lot like a parasite, doesn't it? An unwelcome intruder, manipulating my behavior, causing me to do things I don't want to do. The cockroach sitting in the dark. I can just crawl out of here. Why don't I just crawl out of here? I don't have to stay here. If there's an egg on my side. Why don't I just flick it off? It doesn't, It's not like strong. I could just like, you know, pull it right off of me, but I'm not, I'm just leaving it there. Like, what am I doing? Like, you can, can you imagine being that cockroach? Being like, how do I even get, I don't want to be here. This is not right. I could get out. I should get out, but here I am and I can't do anything about it, why? Paul says this unwelcome intruder of sin, that sounds like a parasite. And I wanna expand this concept a little bit too, cause there's kind of a little bit more to this, the idea of an unseen spiritual parasite. We can expand that a little bit and we say something about like, well, let's talk about fear. Right, so fear says, you know, like I'm afraid, I'm exhausting. When you're afraid, you go into that fight or flight, cortisol floods the system, adrenaline's in the system, your heart starts pumping, you start, you get high blood sugars because you're catabolizing all these other stored sugars. That just in case I need to fight or run or punch something, I need to have all this energy available. It's exhausting to live in that state chronically. And people who live in fear are usually exhausted. They're not sleeping, they're panicked, their heart is burning out, their heart rate's too high, their blood pressure is too high because they're constantly in fear. So fear gets into us and fear, when you're in a state of fear, the only thing you're looking at is what else should I be afraid of? I'm afraid, so should I be afraid of you or you or that? What if this fall? Oh gosh, and you're just, fear is looking for more fear. So there's something in you called fear that wants to feed itself, at the expense of your emotional well being. Fear, I would argue, is like an emotional parasite. Something that gets in you wants to feed itself at the expense of your well being. Fear is an emotional parasite. What about anxiety, right? Well, oh gosh, what might go wrong? This might go wrong. That might go wrong. What if he says this? What if she says that? What if he does this? What if he doesn't do this? I don't know how to fix that. I got to figure all this out. The mind starts spinning, overclocking, hundred miles an hour. It's just going and going and going. You're not sleeping. You're not focusing on relationships. You can't connect with anyone. You can't get anything done because you're just constantly in this state of anxiety. But anxiety is only thinking about, oh, well, you should think about this and you should think about this and you should think about this. Anxiety likes to invite more anxiety. Like when anxiety is in there, it says, cool, we better get stronger. And it's like, well, that's going to kill the host. Like, I'm not going to get any sleep. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be terrible. Anxiety says, that doesn't matter. I'm not interested in your growth. I'm interested in my growth. So anxiety says, give me what I want so I can grow, even if that comes at the expense of your well-being. I would argue anxiety and worry in this way is like a mental parasite. Your mental well-being is literally being eaten alive by something else that has hijacked your system. What about even selfishness and pride? I have to take care of myself. I have to think about myself. I am right, I am doing great. If I'm thinking about this, then I'm not thinking about others. And when I think about myself, sometimes it feels good when you're thinking about yourself. It feels good when you think I'm right and I'm great and I'm amazing. So pride and selfishness actually become something that feeds itself as well. When I am in pride, I want more more people to affirm that I'm correct. I want people to acknowledge that I am a genius. Pride feeds itself at the expense of your relationships of your humility, of your growth. We talked recently how when you're in pride, you cannot grow. And when you're in pride, you will either have to find humility or be humiliated. One is optional, the other one is not. And if pride is feeding itself, it's feeding itself at your expense. Pride is kind of like a social parasite. How other people perceive you, your relationships, they are being eaten alive by this sin of pride within you. That's really interesting. All of these things want what's best for themselves and not what's best for you. And you can look at other thoughts. I don't know if anyone has seen Encanto it's on Disney plus now. And it's very, very good. We've seen it about 70 times. Cause Avery loves it. Uh, but there's a song in there, uh, that I, so Andrew and I both brought our girls and, Uh, we were watching the movie and there's a song that this girl sings and she's super strong, like incredibly strong. She's like lifting up entire buildings and kicking mountains over. It's like this unbelievably strong woman. And uh, there's a song that she sings that, uh, she's talking about how she's carrying all this weight and there's all this pressure and I have to do so much. And in the middle of the song, she sings, uh, uh, pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. And like Andrew and I both looked at each other like, oh, that one got me. Like, <laughs> and the song continues of just like, this is, oh God, she's carrying a lot of weight. And like, oh, she believes that the only way she has value is when she's doing things for other people. And her thought was, if I'm not doing things for other people, I have no value. So that's interesting because that sounds like a parasite too. The idea that I must perform to be loved, that's actually wrong thinking in the form of a, of a parasite that wants to feed itself. And every time I say, oh, I'm not gonna be loved if I don't do something. So I'm gonna do something. And then somebody loves me and the parasite says, see, I was right, do it again. And then you go out there and you go serve some more and then you get love and the parasite says, I was right, let's do it again. And the parasite grows. Meanwhile, your self-worth does not grow at all. I would say it actually gets diminished because the parasite is trying to prove itself correct, even though it is a lie, but it's feeding itself at the cost of your righteousness, of your well being. You should be able to experience worth without service, but a wrong thought will feed itself and grow out of control. Hijack your behavior to do what it thinks is right, even though you know it's not. Um, So the question too, how do we get rid of this parasite? You say, okay, I get it, Danny. It's bad, it's gross. I don't want crabs stuck in my tongue. I don't want jewel wasps jacking me in the brain with their stingers. I want nothing to do with any of this. How do we get rid of it? So here's a really interesting story that I also remember from college. It's the story of the guinea worm. This is just a worm, parasitic worm, lives in the body. But what's interesting about this guinea worm, oh, there it is, yum. So guinea worm, when you drink unfiltered water that has guinea worm eggs in it, it grows and lives. And for about a year, it's just gonna like enjoy your body, just take a cruise, get get a feel of the space, get cozy, get comfortable by the time the worm is mature, it can grow up to three feet, which is about half the length of my body. You can get one of these tiny little, it's just like a little piece of thread, right? Nothing too scary, but it'll live in there. And then it'll start to create these painful blistering sores on your feet that people say feels like you took a hot coal out of the fire and just pressed it into your skin. So you have this burning, painful sore and this worm just lives inside of there. And and here's the weird thing brilliant parasite that it is. It says, Hey, I'm going to make your foot really, really, really hot. Why? I want water. And it goes, okay, have some water. So you put your foot in the water and it brings complete relief. hundred percent gone. It doesn't even hurt a little bit. Like, Oh, the parasite got what it wanted. So now it stopped causing me pain. Okay. I am free of pain. That's great. Here's the problem. You put your foot back in that water Now it's circulating, it lays new eggs. Once you put your foot in the water, the worm pops its head out, spits out thousands of eggs, and then goes back into its favorite little house called you. And then now those eggs are in the water, other people drink the water, new worms that find their way to the feet and say, give us water, why? So we can make more guinea worms. But I don't want that water. It says, no, I want that water because that's what's good for me. So I'm going to manipulate your behavior through pain until you give me what I want. It has hijacked the system. An intruder has made its way into a person's body and is controlling their actions through pain. Now, here's the good news about the guinea worm. Oddly enough, former President Jimmy Carter, of all people, decided after his presidency, he wanted to drive this species extinct. There have been very few examples of mankind's ability to drive a, a bacteria or an infection or a parasite extinct. Like smallpox is the most notable example of smallpox doesn't exist anymore. We beat it, right? And even right now we're trying to beat COVID and we're doing a pretty bad job of it. Uh, it's, it's out there, you know, we're not, it's not disappearing. We're learning how to fight it. Well, maybe one day we can drive it extinct, but the guinea worm is actually one of very few examples of us driving a species almost to extinction. In 1986, there were 3.5 million cases. 3.5 million people had these foot sores that felt like hot coals that had to like put their feet in this water. It was in kids. It was in the elderly. It was in every 3.5 million people suffered from this. And today there are only 27 cases. As of 2020, there were only 27 cases and only 12 of those cases were in humans there's only a handful of people in humans that had this and only a handful of, of animals that had this. And you think, how do you get them 3.5 million down to 27? Something we did worked. Jimmy Carter somehow figured out how to actually remove this parasite and keep it gone. How did he do it? So the process of removing a guinea worm looks kind of like this. So what happens is the worm, it spits out its head once it's in water. So they say, okay, don't put your feet in the pond where everyone drinks from. We're gonna get a bucket. Just put your foot in the bucket. If the, the eggs will get spit out into the bucket and we'll just throw the bucket right to hell where it belongs and then we'll get some more water. Like, but that way no one else will drink your foot bucket water. So you put your foot in the bucket, the worm spits its head out to say, hey, time to make more guinea worms. And you go, nope, you nab it by the neck with a little piece of tweezers and you just start to pull. Just little by little. Now here's the problem. Remember what happens when we salt a canker sore? Similar feeling with the guinea worm. It does not want to come out. So as soon as you start to pull, it uses every chemical and scissor and claw and pincer and anything to make sure you feel as much pain as it can possibly produce. And it is excruciating. I mean, there's videos of like, you know, kids that look like they're like maybe four or five years old and they're just pulling this little worm out and the kids are just weeping and crying as this thing is just fighting as hard as it can to stay put. And if you pull too hard, sometimes the worm snaps, but stays inside. So they're like, well, then we have to do it very, very slowly. So they'll wrap it around a twig and they'll just twist it and they'll pull a little bit nice and slow and slow, not too hard. And again, three feet sometimes, just little by little, they pull it out a few inches a day. Sometimes it's take weeks or months to actually fully extract this. And meanwhile, your foot feels like there's hot coals in it the whole time. So you see videos of kids with their feet wrapped and like a bundled up worm that's outside their foot that's in process of coming out. And you could barely walk, like it's crippling trying to pull this thing out. But here's what I think is super encouraging about this. 3.5 million people had these worms, which means that 3.5 million people, children, decided I will go through this pain if it means that you can get this thing out of me. I will endure it because the thing that dropped this from 3.5 down to 27, it was not a magical surgery. It was not a magical pill. It was not a a magic bullet. This was not a medicine that you can just take and then it would just find its way out of your body. It wasn't that easy. It was incredibly painful, weeks and months of excruciating pain to get this thing out of there. But 3.5 million people said, get it out. of it. I want it gone. I will endure the short-term pain, even if it's more, if it means that I can finally have my own body back to not be slave to what this stupid parasite wants from me. It doesn't get to call the shots anymore. I am free of it. I am no longer a slave to the parasite. I am free. I will endure the pain of getting this thing out of me so that I can be free. 3.5 million people said, sign me up. That's unbelievable to me. So it's interesting you say, okay, well that's how we got rid of a, that was a success story of how to get rid of a physical parasite. So here's a question, how do you get rid of a spiritual parasite? A wrong thought or a bad belief, how do you get rid of something that you can't see that doesn't stick its head out to reproduce? And I would argue it's actually almost the same exact process. So Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. Let's think of sin as a parasite. If it never pokes its head out, that means it's just swimming around, eating what it wants, doing what it wants, pulling strings. It has free reign over your body and your mind. That person will not prosper. (laughs) So whoever conceals their sin, the parasite prospers, the person does not. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Okay, confession is I make it visible. By confessing it, saying it was inside of me and no one knew it was there, but I'm confessing it so that you can see it. Do you see it now? I'm bringing it from being hidden within me to now being external and visible. I have confessed it. And the second thing is renouncing it, which is a lot like repenting from. It's saying this is bad and it has to change. Get it out, right? That's the process, confess and repent. Now let's think about how that applies to the natural. Confession is when the parasite becomes visible, all right? So confession is when this thing pokes its ugly head out. Confession is saying, do you see this? (laughs) I know it's hidden. We like to think that it's not in there, but here it is. It's now visible. And then repent, renounce is saying, get it out. We're going to do things differently now. Grab that thing and start pulling. And no matter how bad it hurts, I renounce it. I repent. I do not want it. We're going a different way. Repenting is saying changing directions. So you might say, well, let's confess it. We'll poke his head out and we'll get it out of there. But we don't change our behavior. We go, wow, glad I got that worm out of there. That was two very painful months. I'm going to go back to this water pool where I got it in the first place and take another long drink. Oh no, there's another worm in there. It's like, well, you didn't change your behavior. <laughs> like you confessed, you made it visible, you got it out, but you never repented. And now here it is again, come back over here. In a year, you're gonna have the same exact foot sores and we're gonna have to do the same process to get this thing out of you. Confess it, make it visible because you can't grab it and get, get a hold on it until it's visible, until it's seen. So, and what I mean by confess is like, one, talk to God about it. Say like, there's a reason He says, confess your sins. Like that's a big confessional in the Catholic church. That's a real thing of saying like, say to God, like God, this is in me. I acknowledge it. Can you help me with this? Can you do that? And I would say one step better than that would be to confess it to God, but to confess it to another person. Another person that you trust, that you know, that's skilled in getting the worm out of there. I might say, well, I could just do this between me and God. You know, there's the worm, I'm gonna pull it and it's gonna hurt, but I'm gonna wanna quit. I'm gonna wanna give up. My hands are gonna be shaky the whole time I'm trying to get this thing out of myself. But another skilled person who's done this a hundred times before, if I can confess it to you and you can grab it and you can help me pull this thing out. And even when I wanna quit, you're gonna say, keep going. You can do this. Confession is when we share our pain with somebody else And it allows somebody else to share our pain with us and help carry the burden. Sometimes they're better at carrying it than we are. Sometimes we can't even do it by ourselves. In fact, a lot of the time, I think that's the truth. And I think too, with that repentance idea. So confess it, get it out, and then repent, change your behavior. So Ephesians 4, verse 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Stealing, let's call that a spiritual parasite. Something in me says, I must steal if I want to have anything in my life. That's not, that's not the truth. That's not true. That's not the way to do it. But the stealing is how I feed myself. The sin, the parasite's happy every time I steal. So then I go steal some more and I steal some more. And now I don't even have to work or do anything. I could just keep stealing. The parasite's happy. It wins. I have no control over this anymore. But he says, if you're caught stealing, stop that. But then you must work. You must do something else. Because if you just sit there saying, oh, I don't have to steal to get, you know, to feed myself. And then you sit there starving and you're not doing anything else, you go, oh, I'm starving, I better go steal again (laughs) because I'm gonna die if I just sit here. He's saying, no, no, don't just sit there trying not to steal, start working. Don't just stop sinning, start doing the right thing. So start working. And it says work, do something useful with your own hands, with your own hands, use your own decision to create value. And so that they may have something to share with those in need saying, hey, you don't just have to like learn how to work so that you can feed yourself the right way. But if you do this well enough, there's other people here that were hungry just like you and you could feed them if you could learn how to do this work thing to provide, to create along God's system. So if you could get healed from this and learn how to do it the right way, you'll actually be a blessing to a lot of other people because other people need healthy people who can help them. So we need you to stop the sand, get rid of the parasite, learn how to do it the right way, repent, get good at this and realize it's not just about you. You need to get this thing out of you for the sake of the people in your lives that will benefit from your wholeness and from your healing. With this game where 3.5 million people says, I want this out because they said, I don't want my kids to have to deal with this. So yes, get this out of me, however painful it is. I don't want my kids and my neighbors and my family to suffer the same thing that I have suffered. So I will do the hard work of getting this out and I will help make sure other people don't deal with the same pain. So this is part of that repentance and that renouncing. So then it says too, we'll jump ahead a bit in Romans 7, verse 24. Let's do 23. Um, so verse, uh, Romans 7, verse Verse 23 also the passions, but I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner of the law of sin. Prisoner of the law of sin. A cockroach is a prisoner of the law of the jewel wasp. We sometimes can become a prisoner to the law of sin. The the sin, the parasite is the law. You do what it says now. That's the law of sin. Uh, and this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. Again, that parasitic language. We'll go to verse 24. What an agonizing situation I'm in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? Who could possibly save this? Take a guess who that might be. Verse 25, I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So if left to myself, The flesh is aligned with the law of sin. If I don't do anything about this, this parasite is gonna eat me alive until I die. The parasite doesn't care if you're dead. It's happy, even if you're not. So the parasite will run this until death. My flesh is aligned with the law of sin, but now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. Submitted to God's righteous principles means God's righteous principles call the shots now, not the law of sin. There's a new voice that's louder than yours. And I listen to this one now, not you. And why does that happen? It says, my renewed mind is fixed on this. It took me changing my mind from sin is in charge to God is in charge. There's a process of changing your mind there that changes who's in control of what you're doing. So we all have this voice in our head that says, you know, feed me, see more, feed me, see more, more, more. Parasite wants more, give us more, give us more. And there's always that one voice. And a lot of people say, well, that's just natural. Those impulses for sin, that's just me being human. That's actually me, that's my own desires. And Jesus is actually saying, no, 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 that's not you. That's the invader, the parasite of sin in you doing what it wants. You know better now. Once Christ is in you, you actually know, oh, I actually don't wanna do that anymore. I would love to do this differently. God, can you help me do this differently? Once you know it's there, we can renew our mind to this new reality and actually do a different thing. Starve the parasite in the same way that when we don't feed our sugar bacteria in our gut, they get quieter. The same thing happens. As we feed our righteousness, as we feast on scripture, as we spend time with the Lord, his voice gets louder and that voice gets smaller. In some cases, you can't even hear it anymore. And another way to present parasitic infection into your spirit is... Another great example from what we did with the Guinea war, which was we filtered the water. They would say that we'd go to the water and if we just drank it, there's probably eggs in there, but we need water, so we're drinking it. They said, hey, what about this? What about it? we pour it through a filter and if it does not belong in our bodies, if this is in fact a parasite that I don't want to consume, it doesn't pass the filter but the rest of it comes through and I can drink something that's good for me. What I would say to this is 2 Corinthians 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if I have a thought that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God, and oh, that doesn't sound like that's God talking right there. Then it's basically saying the filter should stop that. Don't drink that water, (laughs) This is not good. Don't put it in your body. If it gets put in your body, then it might slowly start to grow and increase and change. It's saying, knock it off. Like take the thought captive. You might think a thought of like, I have no value apart from my service. Mm, Hold on a second. Is that God talking? Because if it's not, we got to pass through that filter because this actually sounds like a mental parasite of bad thinking that I don't want to drink that. I need to actually set that aside because then these parasites become strongholds, right? Because these parasites get a stronghold in there. That red snapper, that thing literally has a stronghold where it becomes a part of the fish. Like you cannot remove it. Like it's so hard in there. So treating these parasites are like strongholds. That is, you know, look for that language. So if it does not, if it goes up against the knowledge of Christ, don't let it get past the filter. Take that thought captive and say, that's a parasite, get out of here. Um, And so one last kind of example of this too is uh, I was looking for, again, other examples of how where are the success stories of people who have defeated these spiritual parasites. And the best example that I found here is actually Alcoholics Anonymous. So AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, people are saying, I want more alcohol and more. And that parasite gets in there, that alcoholism, and it says more, and you go, I don't want to. I got to go to work tomorrow. I don't have any more money, but it says More. No, you don't understand. I've been getting sick. My health is really starting to suffer. My wife doesn't want to be in the same room as me anymore. And it says more. And you go, but you're killing me. You're bleeding me dry. And it goes, I don't care. I don't care about your well-being. I care about my well-being. More alcohol. Keep it coming. So this is that alcoholic parasite that people at AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, has been very effective at getting rid of for a long time. And what's interesting about AA is their method of helping people, curing people of alcoholism is actually the Not just the best method, it is the only successful method used in any addiction recovery system in the entire world. There's not like, that's the best one, but this other one's pretty good. Like, it's not even close. The only one that really arguably works at all is the AA method. And what is the AA method? They say the only way to really help people recover from their addictions is their solution, spiritual transformation, what? No, this is a natural problem. Why are you trying to give me a spiritual solution? The issue is I have the sickness inside of me that's making me do it. It's biological, it's chemical. And they're saying, no, no, no. Spiritual transformation is actually what's gonna fix this thing. Because it's not actually biological and chemical. It's something in your spirit. You have a spiritual parasite and we have to treat that with a spiritual solution. So there are 12 steps that are famous. Their first one is, we've admitted, so if I have been suffering from alcoholism, the first steps to recovery is, Admitting that I am powerless over alcohol and that our life, my life has become unmanageable. Do you know what that sounds like to me? It's confession. I have a problem. Alcohol is winning. I'm not, I don't want to do it. I don't want to bite this leaf and just hang out here and die. But here I am. I I need help, right? I am powerless over this and I need help. Confessing. It's visible now. Somebody help me. Two, You have to come to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you. That's hope. The second step is hope in a higher power, right? A spiritual source that might actually be able to solve this. The third step, we've made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this God as we have understood him. You know what that sounds like is repentance. We're renewing our mind and saying, Jesus, take the wheel. God is in control now. We're not listening to the parasite. We're listening to God within us. Interesting, a spiritual transformation is what's healing this. Even if you're not Christian, this is what they take non-Christians through to free them from their alcohol addictions. Uh, four is basically search yourself. Five is again admitting to God, to yourselves and to other people, the exact nature of your wrongs. Confession, this is it. This is everything. Help me with this. Get it out there, grab it by the neck and start pulling, right? I need someone else to see this so that we can actually get a grip on this thing. Um, and then it says, we're ready to have God remove these defects. Start pulling God. Seven, we ask him to remove our shortcomings. Help me do better. Eight, we make a list of people we've harmed. This is not about me. I'm hurting other people and I need to be better so I can be better to other people. Uh, nine, make amends to those people when possible. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, keeping with repentance, basically. Continue to check your heart on this stuff. Um, And the last one there is to have a spiritual awakening and to try and carry this message out to other alcoholics. So the spiritual transformation is complete. The life cycle is complete when not only did you go through the process, but you have completed the process and you're now inviting others to do the same. That is the completion of this healing. So if you have successfully removed a a parasite from yourself, the goal then is how can you help someone else do the same thing? And it's gonna mean a lot more when you have gone through it yourself. So my encouragement to you then, one, filter your thoughts, take every thought captive because there might be a bug in there that you do not want living inside of you. And it's a lot easier to just flick it off before it gets in there than to try and dig it out of your foot later after it's become a mature thought. Catch it early, take your thoughts captive, hold them up to God and say, God, is this you? Because if it's not, I don't wanna eat it. Get rid of that. And then after that, as we're going into the new year, this does relate to the new year as well. Some of you may have been dealing with these things for a while. Some of these tiny little bugs, sometimes they can just grow out of control. Not sometimes, they're actually designed to grow out of control unless you do something about it. So things like lust, things like greed, things like gambling, things like overeating, things like selfishness, things like pride, things like indignance, things like, you know, whatever it might be, if it's theft, if it's pornography, if it's any bad habit that you've lost control of, we need to recognize that's a spiritual parasite that is eating your morality away from the inside. It is not for your benefit. It is benefiting itself at your expense and it needs to be removed. If you can identify this, tell somebody about it. Invite God into the process, admit it, acknowledge it, let it be seen so that we can actually grab that thing and start to pull. So confess it to God, or better yet, confess it to someone you trust that can actually help you begin this restoration process. Um, And the last thing too is that it might hurt. A lot of times it hurts to pull this thing out, but the only way you're ever gonna be free of it is if you are brave enough and willing enough to go through the pain of changing your mind. Renewing your mind could be hard, it could be painful. And you know, losing an addiction is like, there's gonna be a void there of being like, "Ah, this used to be something that actually met the needs of my soul or my heart or my body. And now I, I don't know what else can fill that void. And learning how to actually do that differently, learning how to start working and stop stealing, that's actually a huge transition to make. But if you could do it, you'll finally be free. So it's worth the freedom to endure the short-term pain for the long-term freedom. So then the challenge to you today is one, filter those thoughts. (coughs) Don't let these things get in. Don't let them become strongholds. And if you feel like you've got one in there now, talk to somebody about it, confess it, and then find another way to meet the need that this parasite was trying to hijack because you should be back in control of yourself. Christ is in you telling you what you should be doing all the time. Don't be that ant stuck in sin, unable to let go, knowing I shouldn't be here, but here I am. There is a way out. The way out is Jesus. The way out is confession and repentance. There is, help, there is hope for you. Let this be the year those things die. Get it out, get well, be in control of your life again. Put Christ back in charge of your life. Um, and you can do it. Thank you for entertaining my super weird, gross message. <laughs> It was fun for me. Was it fun for you? (laughs) I thought it was, that was a wild one. Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. If you enjoyed that message, please subscribe and share us with your friends. We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the body of Christ and wants to have a relationship with us as he guides us toward our destiny. If you'd like to partner with us in your giving, please check out our website at www.familylife.cc giving, or you can text give to 844-955-0993. Thank you for listening and stay blessed.